Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Thrilled to have you back with us for episode 343 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with the director of stages, Blair Bryant Nichols from Adventure Reach. Uh, Blair has a, like some significant professional experience. Uh, he's also going to bring that with his vast knowledge of the industry. It's going to make for an action-packed episode. Blair's going to give us an inside scoop of working with a, a bureau or an agent. He discusses the evolution of the speaking industry in a post-pandemic world. That's something we've talked a lot about on the show recently and also highlights the value of leveraging opportunities without spreading yourself too thin. Now, Blair is absolutely an expert in the speaking industry. He's going to tell you exactly how to book gigs, the value of prioritizing the sales and marketing end of your business, the future for virtual events, and also how to cultivate a healthy mindset as a speaker. A lot to unpack during our time with Blair, so let's get right to it. Here's my conversation about the future of your speaking career with Blair Bryant Nichols. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we're joined by Blair Nichols from Adventure Reach, and we're going to be talking uh, all things speaking, speaking industry, speaking uh, into the future, and uh, what the future of the speaking industry looks like. So, uh, Blair, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Grant. Happy to be here. You bet, man. So, let's first start by giving us a little bit of context, some background. You've been in the speaking industry for a while. Uh, why don't you give us not only what your role is today with uh, with uh, Adventure Reach, but then also uh, historically what you've done that has led to this point in the speaking industry. Sure. And like a lot of you, I, you know, maybe before you got started as a speaker or, you know, as you got started in, in your career, I, I didn't really know anything about the speaker industry. But my first job uh, out of college was at the HarperCollins Speakers Bureau, and they were the first publisher to have their own in-house bureau as a way to serve their authors and sell more books through events. And so I got started in New York there, moved on to Greater Talent Network, where I, I ran the, the partnered uh, bureaus with Hachette and Simon Schuster Publishers. So my for five and a half years in New York, I worked with authors and helping them book speaking engagements, where really the bottom line was to sell more books. I, then I moved out to LA and I worked with Keith Ferrazzi, a top motivational speaker who wrote Who's, uh, Who's Got Your Back and Never Eat Alone. And um, and I now started working with him and realizing what great business development opportunities that speaking engagements could be as well, because he really leveraged his speaking opportunities uh, to get consulting engagements and to you know get into organizations and to you know help build his influence that way uh, so I was his chief of staff for three and a half years while I was working with him I started and then uh, left and finished my MBA 
and when I finished uh, with business school, I jumped into another agency called Big Speak, and so I was mm-hmm. back in kind of the agency world, and I was there for a couple of years helping them build their exclusive talent list and as an agent, and, and then I joined Adventure Reach at the end of 2019, and I am the director of stages, so I help book stages for our leadership team and some of our uh, our speakers in-house, as well as our run help run our agency where uh, we help our clients research and uh, and find stages to win and as well as our elite clients we help actually close and negotiate deals for for their speaking opportunities as well nice so you've been on the booking side for uh, a good chunk of your career so one thing uh, I'd be curious on kind of your perspective on is as you well know so many speakers especially early in their career are just wondering how do I get in with the bureau how do I get in with an agent and I thought the same thing when I got started it feels like this gold mine that if I can just get in that they're just gonna book every, anything and everything for me and you know we both quickly realized like that's not the way it works and so what would you say to those speakers who may be listening who are going like I just tell me how to get in with a bureau. I'd tell me how to get with an agent. You worked with a bunch of them. You have been, uh, you're continuing to do it today. So, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not booking any gigs right now, but it sounds like you've got uh, more, more supply than demand. You've got plenty of gigs there. You just need a speaker. I'm your guy. Like, uh, it doesn't work like that. Can you kind of walk us through what your perspective is for, for speakers who are thinking that? Yeah, you know, and I've seen the the industry evolve a lot from 2007, where I started, and then obviously 2008, 2009 were pretty hard, hard years. And then, uh, you know, bringing us up to 2020. Um, but re- really, getting the attention of a bureau requires that you've already really established the demand for yourself as a speaker. Most bureaus aren't really interested in you until they start getting requests for you from their corporate clients, the people that really pay their bills, and they because they make all their money off commission. Um, and so that's going to attract their attention if they start hearing about you and getting requests for you from from some of their clients and and then they are going to also be interested if you already are booking a lot of your own speaking engagements you already have demand you're already getting you know 10 15 20k for a speech and you want someone to manage it then they're going to be really excited to work with you Um, on the other hand if you if you're an established speaker and you want to be part of their website they may want to add you to their website because a lot of what's driving business to a bureau is people searching for you, searching for speakers, and then hoping that they, you know, somewhere in the Google algorithm or ad paid dollars, that they find you on their site first, rather than going to your website or the other agency's website where you might also be listed. They hope that they're going to find, you know, that person's going to come to them to book you and then that's going to be business for them. So they really use speakers to help drive their SEO, to help drive business to them. Um, but they they generally have a shorter list of exclusive clients that really already generate a lot of demand that are kind of have a you know that name recognition or they've kind of established themselves in the industry. So it takes a while to kind of build up your business until working with the speakers bureau is really going to make sense for both sides. Most of the speakers that I talk to who say, yeah, you know, like I've I'm on this website or I'm on that website and they bring me one or two gigs a year, you know, it's not as robust. Whereas other speakers, you know, they've been around for a while and they they get a lot of different business from the different bureaus. But it, it does take some time and it does take some, you know, relationship building and proving that you can help drive business to them too. Yeah, that's so true. I remind speakers all the time that if if you can't book gigs on your own, there's no chance a bureau or an agent uh, is going to be interested in you. And it's kind of a, it's almost like a um, a dichotomy or catch twenty two, I guess. That that if you can't, uh, when you get to a point where 
you are booking enough gigs on your own. Uh, you may not be interested in a bureau, but when you're not booking anything, they're not going to be interested in you. And so you you have to get to a point where you said like like almost the demand exceeds the supply, and there's enough happening there. Where uh, I remember a, a bureau friend said one time that that bureaus can help manage demand; they can't create demand. So if you already have a lot of stuff happening, you're booking gigs on your own, you're getting inbound stuff, you're doing outbound stuff. They can help pour gas on that fire. But if you're not already, you don't already have some momentum. Uh, it's really hard to get that going. So let me ask you this: you you've been in the industry for a while. You've booked hundreds, if not thousands of gigs at this point. Uh, booking a speaking gig feels like this really, really difficult, challenging, mysterious black box. And really, I think it's it's not overly complicated or as complicated as, as people make it seem. Uh, one big mistake a lot of speakers make is is we just kind of sit back and wait for someone to magically find us. You know, we, we post something on, on Facebook or Instagram and, and we're just or put in our bio that we're a speaker and we just hope that does it and it does squat for you. So what have you found? And again, all the years you've been in the industry booking gigs, big picture is just kind of a starting point for the conversation. What, what does it take to book speaking gigs? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in the beginning, you want to be as flexible. And I know that everyone wants to get paid, you know, everyone wants to get to the point where they're getting paid to speak. But in the beginning, you know, you should be really open to any opportunity um, to speak, because the more that you speak for free, or you get out there in front of, you know, if you have target audiences or industries, you really want to specialize in, you know, getting opportunities to speak to those places, just helps you build that credibility. You know, I, I worked with a speaker, and she said, you know, I really want to speak at universities. So I I just started calling up, you know, the women's department at, at this university and that university. And once I booked that first one, I was able to say to the next one, well, I just spoke at this university and, mm -hmm. and it helps kind of build that momentum. So I think a lot of times people, you know, like you said, kind of wait around for someone to find them or to request them and then, or they're, they're trying to pitch themselves and then they're kind of expecting a fee. If you're the one coming in the door, you know, you don't have as much leverage when they're starting to come to you you know, then you can start talking about a fee, you can negotiate, you know, kind of what that what that should be and, and, and how that should look. And, but I would just say, as you're building, as you're growing, you know, just try to get as many opportunities as possible, because the more you speak, the more you'll speak, you know, you want to drive it so that people are, are coming to you, people are now requesting you because they saw you at this event, or that event, or they heard you on this podcast, or that podcast, you want to kind of create this sort of presence that really brings people back to you. We hear all the time from clients like, yeah, well, I did this one gig three years ago and that person now has just booked me for a, a big keynote or something. You know, it kind of stays out there for a long time. So you want to stay consistent like with anything, like with your marketing, your social media, et cetera. You just want to be doing as much as you can because you don't know when that's going to come back around and create another opportunity for you. So. Um, you know, I think in the meantime, just, just try to pursue the, the ones that are most strategic for you and that where you'd really want to build your business. How do you balance the the idea of you want to like early on, you're just trying to speak as many opportunities as you can. You're trying to get at bats. You're trying to get reps. You're trying to get better. You're trying to get in front of people. Uh, and like you said, it may lead to other things and it's hard to, um, uh, to reverse engineer some of those things. And there's a lot of those serendipitous moments of, you know, I, I know I've booked a bunch of gigs that just the right person is in the audience that you can't plan for. You can't predict, but it happened. 
Uh, and so you're trying to just have a lot of these at bats, but you also want to balance where you're not just trying to speak to anybody and everybody and spread yourself so thin of like, yeah, I can speak to these veterinarians and I can also speak to this group of moms and I can also speak to this third grade class of elementary kids. And you're just like, you're, you're bouncing around so much that it's like, nobody really has any idea who you are, or what it is that you do. And you're not even sure, you know, and you may be speaking at some of these things for an at bat, but you're, you're doing yourself and the client a disservice because you're not, you're not a good fit to begin with. So how do you kind of balance the, I want to speak to anybody and everyone to get the ball rolling, but uh, I also want to make sure it's a, it's a good fit and I can do a good job for them. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And and that's why I was saying kind of understanding what industries, what audiences are really are the ones you want to speak to in the future. So think about down the road, your ideal audience, the people that you want to get paid money to speak to because either it's your passion, it's your expertise, it's where you think you're going to drive you know, clients from or where you're going to get business from. And that's where you really want to build your experience. So like great point, you know, Grant, you don't want to just go around and say, yeah, I'll speak here. I'll speak there. Any, any, I can speak to anyone. You know, we talked about that. Speakers love to say, I can, this is a message that works for anyone. I can yeah. speak to any audience and, and that's fine. Maybe that's true. Maybe your message can resonate and you can tailor it and customize, but it's not going to make you stand out you want to be known for something you know we talked about your methodology which i love like you want to be solving a problem you really want to be known as the solution provider for that problem and the expert in something that's what makes you stand out because when people are looking for speakers for their event they're not looking for the jack of all trades they're looking to fill specific topics to specific niches and they want the best of the best so they want the guy that talks only about communication or the the woman who talks about you know um, behavior or co corporate culture or leadership, like whatever it is that's your niche, that's what you want to keep focusing on and keep building your credibility in. And if it's like you really just want to talk to the pharmaceutical industry or the healthcare industry, then just speak at healthcare conferences, just speak to those types of places and start for free, start, you know, kind of in breakout sessions. And then that'll allow you to get picked because you'll have testimonials, you'll have examples, you'll have, you know, kind of a history with that industry already. Um, so I think, you know, to your point, you really want to narrow even from the start and kind of define those targets so you can build on it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the other things that you kind of touched on there was that, uh, early on, and you, as you're trying to book gigs and you're just trying to get in front of decision makers, that, uh, there's a lot of things you could do. You could call them, you could email them, you could, you know, send them a, a Facebook or LinkedIn message or, or tweet them or stalk them or whatever. But what have you found that works well just to get in front of people? Because it is kind of a, a balance of you want to, they're looking for a, a speaker. You're providing a solution to the problem that they have. You want to let them know of that. You want to start to build that relationship, but you don't want to be annoying. You don't want to burn a bridge with them by just being a pain in the butt. So how do you balance, especially that first contact, that first reach out, especially if you have no connection to them? What is that? What do you guys typically recommend? What does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, and, and we kind of outline a whole campaign that you can do, but I think it's, I think it could be pretty simple. You know, you want to reach out and you really want to try to get someone on a call, of course. And, and so finding, and you want to talk to the right person, right? So you need to figure out, you know, how you're really talking to the decision maker or the person that's going to be booking that speaker. And by doing a little bit of research and, and reaching out and maybe you get someone on the phone that can say, Hey, you know, I'm not the one you want to talk to, but so-and-so is, you know, um, just being polite, being friendly, kind of getting 
through the gatekeepers, uh, you know, just sending emails alone is not going to work. You want to pick up the phone. And then if you do get to the right contact and whether they've returned your call or returned your email or not, uh, we recommend BombBomb or any sort of video email service just where you can do a quick 30 second, a minute long video straight to camera saying, hey, Wanda, I, I know you've got this event coming up. I just want to introduce myself. I really love the audience that you serve. This is what I talk about. This is why I think it'd be valuable for your audience. And I'd love to connect and just talk a little bit further with you and how I could help. You know, something simple like that. We live in a digital age. We live in an age now where we're always on camera. It's not just conference calls, it's Zoom calls. So you can do it really easily. Um, so something like that, I think, is a great way to kind of personalize and but also do something kind of that shows, gives them, you know, a taste for you, gives them kind of a an example of you and, and having those other assets ready to go testimonials, other video examples, topic descriptions, all of that stuff. You don't want to just bombard them with it. You want to make a personal connection first and give them a taste and then hope to have, you know, a more richer conversation in the future. But I think using some of those newer technologies and services like BombBomb or whatever, uh, there's probably a a bunch of others out there that can send video messages pretty easily uh, without a huge attachment. It just creates a little link and they open up the link and then there's a video there. Um, I think that's a great approach. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. Yeah, part of a, of being a speaker is the the glamorous, sexy part that we all look forward to, the being on stage. But uh, I found that, that that part is actually a very, very small percentage of what it is to be a speaker. Like you spend the high majority of your time doing sales, doing marketing, reaching out to people, following up to people, having good systems in place. So for the speakers who are going like, eh, I just I just want that beer. I just want that agent. I want someone else to take care of it. Or all I want to do is speak. Uh, can you talk to us about like, how do you make that mental transition to, yeah, you want, you want to do the speaking part, but there's all these other steps that you have to do first in order to be able to do that. It's almost like earning the, the, the opportunity to be able to speak. And just because you want to be a speaker does nothing for you. Uh, <laughs> and so I remember a, a friend telling me early on in my own speaking career, he said, you, you have to fall in love with the process. You know, like we want the end result, but you have to fall in love with the work that it takes to get there. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you, you want the summer body, but you have to fall in love with the, the the work that it takes, the discipline it takes, both exercise and eating. You have to fall in love with that in order to get the result that you want. And so how do you help speakers to like make that mental shift that you can be a speaker, but there's a lot of non-glamorous, non-sexy work behind the scenes that it requires and that it takes in order to book the gigs to do the thing that you want to do? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it kind of depends on, you know, what you're looking to do and how much you're willing to invest because there are, you could hire people to do it and you can invest in services. You can, you know, work with people that can help pitch you. But if you don't have that kind of money and if you're really just doing this as something you want to build into a business, then you're absolutely right. You got to do the legwork yourself. You got to learn how to research the events that are going to be a right fit for you. And again, nowadays, everything's online. It's pretty easy to find websites, contact information, information, find them on social media, LinkedIn. There's just so many ways, there's so many groups and and, um, different events that are listed and ways you can apply. Um, So many podcasts you can get on that, you know, can start building your name as a speaker. You just got to put in that legwork to reach out and to be consistent and just turn it into part of your process and part of what you're doing. On the other hand, you can think about other avenues to be building your platform, which will help generate, you know, more interest in you as a speaker. Um, I don't know that having the biggest social media following is the fastest way to be kind of a sought after speaker, but having an audience helps. You know, as as I shared, I started in the world of publishing. So a lot of people, you know, really establish themselves by publishing a book. And then that gives you that kind of credibility, something you could use to get out there and and leverage some of the publicity um, to maybe get your foot in the door faster. But that's not an easy process either. You got to write a whole book. So no matter what, the road is long. (laughs) It just depends on how fast you want to go and what you're willing to invest in either your time or resources and and, uh, then just making sure you do it consistently. So booking gigs just in general is is hard enough, but uh, let's talk about has has anything changed because of the pandemic in terms of of being able to uh, book gigs and how you go about booking gigs? Because uh, obviously at this point of time that's recording, we're a little over a year removed from all of this. It feels like we're coming out of the, the other side more and more every day. Live events are coming back. The vaccine's making the rounds. People are, are coming outdoors uh, again. And so it feels like we're, we're making a lot of progress now. But do you feel like that in a post-pandemic world that how you go about booking gigs has changed in any way? I think to some respects, I think, you know, over the course of my career, the window of when people are reaching out for speakers to when the event is, is getting shorter and shorter. And we definitely see that with digital events. So what I want to share is like, don't be discouraged if you feel like, you know, you've missed your shot and you had your eye set on this one conference that every year it's the big conference and you didn't get selected as a speaker. And now you're going to have to wait a whole nother year. There are so many events out there. There are so many ways to get in front of that same audience. And in, if they're not booking six months in advance, they're probably booking two months in advance. And a lot of them are booking two weeks in advance. So it's just about making connections. It's just about building relationships and letting them know you're available. Because what I have seen is now with digital events being a little bit, you know, they're less cost intensive, they're easier to plan. So people are having them more frequently. And that's been kind of the shift. It's like, we don't want to have one big three-day event. We're going to have a three-month series of events or they're breaking it into smaller chunks so there might be just more opportunities that you're not even aware of but just stay consistent with reaching out because a lot of things are coming up faster and faster and they're they're not booking six nine twelve months out like they did in the past they're they're booking a little bit faster because they think we live in an amazon world where we can get delivery Mm -hmm. overnight and we just expect people to be available and and in the you know it was a little frustrating pre-covid because you know speakers do book up dates. And if you're expected to be in person, you can't be in Dallas and Orlando on the same date at the same time. But virtual events, you can. You can speak 
in, in Orlando in the morning and then spend the rest of your day in the hotel room doing as many virtual events as you can. So there is going to be a lot more opportunities, I think, just to be kind of bridging both the in-person and the virtual world. And if the, you know, whoever gets you first in person for that date gets you in person and then you have the opportunity to potentially negotiate a virtual talk um, if you're not available to be right there present with them for maybe a lower fee or just a different kind of uh, consideration. Yeah. So the uh, pre-pandemic, the virtual gigs were really not much of a thing. Uh, you know, a few speakers would do them here or there, events would do them here or there, but it just wasn't, it was never really taken that seriously. And because of the pandemic, it's really changed things dramatically. Do you feel like that post-pandemic, that virtual is still going to be a viable thing that's going to be around for a while? Or do you feel like, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a good bandaid uh, for the past year or so, but uh, live events are coming back. You cannot replace the in-person experience. So uh, virtual events will eventually just kind of fade out into the background or, or how do you see virtual events fitting into the, the future of speaking? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that virtual events are here to stay. I think there's always going to be events that are online. They want to generate a huge international audience. They've got people that they want to bring in from all over the place, and they want to make it as easy as possible. I think corporations recognize how expensive it can be to bring everyone together in one place. And so virtual events is still going to be a great option for them, just depending on what they they do with speakers or how often they hold events. Um, But I also think there's going to be the hybrid model, you know, with with our event, we had three times as many people online as we did in person. So it wouldn't make sense for us not to have a virtual option. So many people who were never able to attend events have been able to virtually, you know, events that they might have wanted to attend for years, whether it's cost or disability or whatever the reason may be, they weren't able to attend in person that now will always have a virtual option. So I think for speakers, you know, you can have your virtual fee and your in-person fee. And in-person is always going to demand top dollar. The budget is always going to be, you know, for an event, they're probably going to, you know, put most of their budget towards their big headliner speakers. And, and those people are probably going to, they're going to want in person. But I think if they really want that speaker and they can only do it virtually for whatever the conflict may be, they'll make that happen because they'll recognize they are going to save a little bit on costs, but they're going to still get that same content and the same experience. And if they do have people in person online, then the people online are getting the very same experience and the people in person, they're just getting a little bit, you know, they're not getting the same in-room engagement, but they they still are getting the content and then they're going to get some in-room experience that the people online aren't getting. So they're going to balance out. Um, I just think it's going to create more opportunities for speakers. And I think you just need to be thinking about your business model for speaking and how it's helping you grow whatever else you're growing. And so that that virtual event isn't only worth, you know, the lower fee to you, it's worth, you know, something greater because it supports your business. It allows you to, you know, continue to grow your audience um, and support whatever else you're doing um, on the back end with your speaking. Well, let's talk about fees for a second, because when when the pandemic started, the idea of doing virtual gigs, uh, uh, what the speaking fee would be for a virtual gig was, was really kind of the wild, wild west. Everyone was kind of making it up as they went. Some speakers are like, nah, it's full fee, take it or leave it. Some that are like, I'll do it for a nickel because I just need something right now and everything in between. So now that, again, we're kind of a year removed from this, the dust is starting to settle. What are you seeing as far as where virtual fees are landing compared to what in-person fees would be? 
Yeah. So before COVID, if there was ever an opportunity for something virtual, I would always just cut the fee in half and say, you know, he's usually 30K. You can do it for 15K virtual. And again, like you said, there wasn't always a lot of demand for that, not a lot of interest in that. I think what we saw in pandemic is that people just because they, everyone was nervous, everyone's scared about the economy and what's going to happen. They didn't want to pay, you know, even half the regular fee. They, and they expect because everyone's at home that they should just be able to jump on and do this. Right. So so for a time, you know, I think there was like this assumption that, you know, speakers should be doing this at cut rates. And some speakers might have been, you know, eager to do that so they can keep, you know, the momentum going. But I think they've kind of settled back into that 50 percent range. Some of the, you know, top speakers I know that have been around doing this for decades, um, seeing what they used to charge in for in person and where they kind of settled um, for their virtual fees. I think it averages out to about 50 percent. So I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb um, to try to stick to. Um, And that's what I think most people, some people might have a little bit more flexibility on that because they might start charging more. We've had speakers, you know, who charge 20K for the West Coast and 15 for the East Coast because they're based on the East Coast and it's just a lot more travel, a lot more time out of their schedule. Virtual, you know, it's flat across the board. So it allows you to have that variability. Um, And so it might be, you know, it might seem even more, you know, inexpensive to do virtual compared to 50% plus to have them in person, depending on where they're coming from and the travel involved as well. So there's a lot of different factors like that, but I think 50% is, is probably, you know, where most professional speakers are at and then others might be charging a little bit less. What other, uh, industry shifts do you see coming down that, uh, from maybe because of the pandemic or because just, again, we're coming out the other side of this that you think will just, uh, the speakers need to be aware of, or things that you're noticing or hearing from event planners that speakers need to be thinking about in a, again, in a, a post pandemic world. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what, the big thing that has shifted in in my, you know, career has been people having access to speakers and everyone more directly through social media. And I know you guys have talked about Clubhouse already on this show. And, you know, Clubhouse is just another, you know, platform where people get direct access to speakers where they can, you know, hear and access content, you know, immediately for free. And a lot of great, you know, figures and in all sorts of industries are kind of getting on there and sharing their wisdom and knowledge in a conversational style that can be pretty exciting. So I think speakers just need to think about how having a presence in a lot of different places and having a mechanism for people to to reach out to them. And I think, you know, not to overrun the bureau model, but I think it will disrupt the bureau model a bit because so much of that bureau model, as I mentioned, is driven by people searching and finding speakers only through bureau websites as a speaker, I think it's your responsibility to make sure that people can find you directly easiest. That's how you're going to make the biggest fee and how you're going to have the most power over the negotiation, whether you want to turn that over to an an agent at a bureau or otherwise to handle for you, you know, at least that gives you the opportunity to do that. But a lot of times, you know, speakers, if they're not exclusive with an agency or something, they love to be able to do that on their own because they know their business best and what that stage can mean for them and they can negotiate in the best way possible. A bureau is always going to try to get you top top keynote fee um, because they want the biggest commission. But this might be a strategic opportunity for you um, that you want to really handle yourself. So the more you can get yourself out there on all of these platforms, just be consistent and, and try to be as, as many places as possible, um, the better it is for you. 
Uh, let's wrap up by talking about just kind of the, the mindset of being a speaker, because it, it, again, the, the one hour you're on stage uh, is amazing. Uh, and then there's a lot of days where you feel the, the doubts and the insecurities and the fears, and I'm not booking gigs, or I'm not uh, booking as many as, as that person over there, or I used to be booking a lot of gigs and the pandemic killed my business. And, you know, I, I don't feel as comfortable virtual as I do in person or any number of all the doubts and insecurities and fears that, that any speaker goes through. So can you talk to us about how a speaker can, 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 uh, just have a healthy mindset as they build and grow their speaking business? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I, I think it really is, dep it depends on the speaker and really what you're looking to accomplish. Some speakers, like you know, they want to speak once a month. They like getting out there. It's kind of the quick adrenaline rush, and then they're okay to go back to their day-to-day -day job, their day-to-day -day lives, and that's what they want. Other speakers want to be on the road as much as possible, want to get in front of many as many people as possible. So I think a healthy mindset is just really setting the goals and expectations for yourself and, uh, you know, working on reverse engineering how you can meet them and being kind of satisfied with what you get. Um, I think for a lot of speakers, they want to make an impact and they want to, you know, get that adrenaline rush maybe more frequently, or they like the connection that they get to make with audiences. So that's why I'd encourage you, you know, to drive people to your newsletter, drive people to a, a Facebook group, think about ways to engage with your audience more directly. Again, that's going to drive more business to you directly. And it's also going to maybe give you that feeling that you're making that impact and you're being able to continue the conversation with them. You're being able able to continue to drive value. Um, and I think that, you know, even when you're making, you know, micro impact on smaller audiences and growing it and growing it from there, then that might help extend that feeling of well-being, uh, you know, for you as a speaker, because you can really see it in real time, the comments, the responses, the feedback that you're getting on these different platforms. Um, and that, you know, hopefully will allow you to, to have some peace if you're not getting booked all the time and, and getting out there on stage as much as you may like like. Yeah, very true. Uh, Blair, we appreciate the time, man. This has been uh, very insightful. Look forward to uh, people uh, consuming this. If people want to find out more about you and, and uh, what you guys are up to, uh, where can we go? Yeah, absolutely. You can always uh, find me on LinkedIn, Blair Bryant Nichols, but you can also email me at Blair at AdventureReach.com. Um, you can check out Elite Speakers Agency if you want to learn more how we work with speakers and help get them on stages. And uh, I'd love to chat with you if you just want to pick my brain. So feel free to reach out. Sounds good. Thanks, Blair. We appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support, ads, as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.